Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Are you running with hay fever? Symptoms can be irritating and disruptive. So join us for nutritional and run planning tips to prevent or minimize symptoms so you can run throughout the spring, the summer, and even into the autumn without suffering from hay fever. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. everyone I'm Karen and I'm here as always with Aileen. Aileen how are you today? Yeah I'm great today raring to go with our conversation. Good so let's get started and as always uh, we will start by sharing something personal with you about our nutritional running before we move on to discuss our topic for today which is focusing on running with hay fever. So Aileen with that in mind is that something you suffer from? Um, yes, I, I do. And it tends to vary from year to year. I mean, I think, um, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty bad, but it, it's, a, it's a lot better now. And I, I think that's because I really try to protect myself by limiting my exposure to pollen and also looking after my immune system all year round. And I think as I've got healthier, that's really made a difference. And it might not have been something I noticed straight away, but then you sort of look back and you think, oh, yeah, it is actually much more manageable than it used to be. Yeah. Um, so I think you're looking after your immune system throughout the year is key. And, and I know lots of people are affected by hay fever. And the season does last quite a few months. So it's worth doing everything you can to protect yourself. And I'm in quite a lot of running Facebook groups. And I've noticed just in the last week or two, people are starting to talk about hay fever so it is obviously something that bothers people uh, so I think it's good that we're talking about it today um, and is it something that is a problem for you or any of your clients Karen? Well it, it isn't actually something that I suffer from um, personally Aileen but my running partner does um, and she tends to find that the month of May is the worst for her due to the horse chestnut trees being I think in full bloom at that time and and like you say I think it is over a few months because it will depend 
what type of pollen people have um, sort of a reaction to. But for her, she finds May is the is the worst month. But but it doesn't really stop her running. She still runs through it, but she just finds it really slows her down. So she's really got to take it easy. And when we go out together, she'll say, you know, I'm really feeling it today, so can we just take it slowly? And um and then she always runs with a, a packet of tissues at that point as well, because she can't get through a run without having to to blow her nose. But 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 sneezing doesn't um, affect her, certainly on the run. I don't know how much of the sneezing side of it affects her um, outside of running, but it's just that runny nose that she that that affects her and um, interrupts her running really in the moment and the breathing, you know, just sort of being slightly more restricted. But um, but it is something that some of my clients um, sort of come with as well, just looking to see how they can support that. And like you say, Aileen, it's about the immune system, isn't it? About really supporting the immune system, not just at this time of year, but throughout the year to try and diminish the, the, the possibility of the reactions during springtime. Anyway, I'm sure we're going to speak a lot more about that as we go through. So let's move on and start speaking about it. Um, like we say, the title is Running With Hay Fever. And it is a seasonal condition which can affect many runners, sort of like you were saying, Aileen, with the running groups that you're you're a member of it's starting to be a conversation and and it can range really from just a slight irritation to a major disruption in run training and racing and enjoyment of running actually for a lot of people and um it's thought that around 25% of the UK population is affected by hay fever. Um, and that there are lots of online articles outlining advice, actually specifically for runners. So, you know, that is one of the reasons we thought it would maybe be a good um talk to have about the current lifestyle advice and, and maybe add our own advice on what may what you could maybe do nutritionally to support yourself over the coming months. So what we're going to cover today is really what is hay fever and the symptoms and underlying causes of it. What changes can you make to your running routine to minimise exposure to pollen? And what can you do nutritionally to help prevent or maybe minimise at least the hay fever symptoms? So Aileen, let's get started. And could you maybe start with an overview of what hay fever is and then sort of look at maybe the symptoms people may experience on the underlying causes of of hay fever. Yeah sure so the the medical uh, name for hay fever is allergic rhinitis or you might have heard it as a seasonal allergy Um, and and also you you know if you're doing any um, searching on Google you might find there's articles about exercise-induced rhinitis, which is very, very similar. So I think the advice that you'll get today um, will help you if, if you feel that you've got that exercise-induced rhinitis, maybe the two things over, overlap. But basically, um, it's an overreaction of the immune system to pollen. and That, that can lead to the inflammation of the nose, the sinuses, the eyes, you know, those itchy, watery eyes the throat, um, tightening of the chest and the wheeziness that you mentioned earlier, Karen. And as you said, you know, there's a a significant amount of the population is affected by hay fever. And obviously we've quoted 
the 25% of the UK population, but, you know, I'm guessing it's a problem um, for people in other countries too. Um, and there's different types of pollen. So um, the types of pollen fall into different categories. So there's the tree pollen, uh, which tends to um, affect us during the spring. And it was interesting that you mentioned about, um, you know, the particular type of tree that affects your friend, Karen. So there's lots of different types of tree pollen. And um, I found this quite interesting when I was doing some reading around it, because I haven't really thought about it before, but there's different trees in different regions and different areas so you might find the specific times of the year that affect you because of where you're running uh, and I know I've noticed that if I've maybe been on holiday in different areas and suddenly I've been affected and it's probably because there's something different that I'm not used to there um, and then there's grass pollen which tends to affect us at the end of spring and into summer and then there's uh, pollen from weeds, which typically tends to affect us in the late summer, early autumn. So, you know, that, that's quite a few months. So, it, 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 you know, if you're somebody who's particularly sensitive, you might find that it's happening to you uh, throughout the, the spring and the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, spring, summer, autumn, it's most of the year, but I suppose it's going to be different times of the year for different people, depending on what their their allergy is. So so thinking about the people suffering um, from hay fever, who would you say are most at risk of developing hay fever? Are there specific groups, Aileen? Um, well, the medical risk factors appear to be asthma and eczema. And there is something called the uh, atopic triad, which would include hay fever in that. So if you're already suffering from those conditions, um, you know, you're going to be at risk of having hay fever too. Um, and then I think the other thing is to think about, you know, have you got a suppressed immune system? And I'd also link that to a compromised digestive system too, because 70% of the immune system lives in the gut. So the two uh, systems are very closely interlinked. So if you've got any other immune conditions, then you might be at risk. Or if you're feeling run down or you've been highly stressed, all of these kind of things can suppress your immune system. Um, and then there's the environmental factors too. So, you know, how much exposure do we have to pollen? Uh, and obviously, as runners, we're outdoors a lot. So that probably puts us in a group uh, that are in the high risk category just because, uh, you know, we're exposed to a lot of pollen. Yeah, absolutely. Alien. And just sort of following on from that, the most typical effect um, is that hay fever symptoms tend to weaken that nasal flow and can weaken that nasal flow up to 80 percent. Therefore, that sort of um, is impairing breathing and potentially the cardiovascular system and the chest may tighten. And then for a lot of people, there's this repetitive sneezing and that can affect concentration, performance and also energy, sort of thinking about mental, physical um, um, effects of that, that, uh, that energy reduction. And that, again, could affect sleep. So when you think one sneeze and a close of the eyes takes um, one second, so a series of sneezes can impact on your running time really so for example um i i heard of, of of a situation where up to 60 sneezes can impact a 10k time by about a minute 
And that's a lot of sneezes for a start. And also for a runner, a minute lost time is a lot of time. So it can impact on our performance quite significantly if we get the that fit of, of sneezing that quite often is associated with um, hay fever. And I think probably sneezing is the most common symptom, but there are lots of other symptoms as well, which could include um that itchy nose or palate as well and, and and going right down into the throat, which for some people can be really difficult to, to alleviate. And then that itchy and watery eyes that you mentioned earlier, alien. And, and with that, there is a risk that an infection could follow if you tend to rub your eyes a lot. And then blocked nose, nasal congestion, which again could affect the the breathing aspect of it for a runner. And then um, a runny nose and that post-nasal drip, which is when um, you get that sensation of mucus running down the back of the throat. And then, like we've mentioned already, there's the wheezing and the and the tight chest that you can get. So, so Alien, maybe could you go on and explain what is happening? physiologically to trigger these symptoms of that are commonly associated with hay fever? Yeah, and I think this is quite an interesting sort of just to know what's going on and um, mm. find out why, you, why your immune system's reacting the way it is. So, you know, as, as the name suggests, the allergic rhinitis or the seasonal rhinitis is the immune system reacting to the seasonal airborne pollen particles uh, which, you know, you, you might describe as allergens. And, you know, we're exposed to this, as we said, during the spring, summer, early autumn months. So what happens is the pollen enters the body in low doses by a diffusion, diffusion process across the mucosal surfaces of body tissues and cells. So, you know, we, we're sort of like, almost like breathing it in and then it diffuses across all of these different tissues and cells and so what happens and, and we're all getting quite good at knowing what the immune system does these days I mean I, I've always been uh, fascinated by it but I think generally in the world now we all know what the immune system does so w- what's happening is the body recognizes the the allergens uh, as invaders and it responds by making specific anti- antibodies to fight them off and there are different antibodies, but the ones that specifically are involved in um, this mechanism are, are antibodies called IgE antibodies. Um, and these antibodies are produced by plasma cells in the lymph nodes or locally where the allergic reaction occurs. So in this case, it would be the eyes, the nose, the throat, the chest. So it's like we always talk about the immune system as being like a little army, don't we? So they, they, you know, they're called in to fight off at the point of the, um, the reaction. Um, and then what happens is that the IgE antibodies bind to cell receptors on different immune cells. So there's uh, a, a range of different immune cells, um, particularly the mast cells, the basophils, and something called activated anisophils. Um, so these are all these cells are then um, activated to attack the pollen invaders, and, and some of the cells release compounds which are known as preformed mediators. And what they do is either increase or downregulate inflammation which has been activated by the immune system to deal with the invasion. And one of these mediators is histamine, which people will probably heard of. Um, 
and it's a histamine that causes the symptoms associated with the allergies. Um, so, and the histamine, you know, is, is a really important um, compound. It's got a crucial role in the body. And what it does is, as it's released, it, it helps um, or causes a, a, a situation where blood vessels are dilating, and that allows white blood cells and blood plasma proteins to get to the site of the inflammation to help the protein. So they've got a, histamine's got a really crucial role. Um, but what can happen is that sometimes in the situation of an allergy, because it's quite urgent, the body's like saying, this is a really urgent situation, I need to deal with it. It's actually, the immune system's actually maybe releasing an excess amount of histamine very quickly. And that's why we experience this very fast onset of symptoms. And, and it can feel quite uncomfortable. Um, you know, that horrible sneezing constantly, watery eyes. It's actually the immune system trying to help you do the job of getting rid of the pollen and dealing with this pollen invader. But because you're getting this excess histamine, it can be, you know, we sometimes focus on that more than why we got the pollen in us in, in the first place. Yes, absolutely. And I suppose this would um, help explain why the medical approach is to give antihistamines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the role of the antihistamine is to block histamine receptor cells and that would either slow or stop these symptoms. And it can be a really effective way to relieve symptoms. Um, it might not work for all symptoms, but if you experience uh, the minor symptoms for a short period, it, it might give you some relief. Um, and, you know, the medical profession would usually advise you to take them throughout the season as a protective measure. So, you know, getting into the habit of taking one every day as a protective measure rather than just taking them as and when. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? That you're taking it all the time rather than when it's required. So thinking about that, Aileen, what are your thoughts on using antihistamines? Well, I mean, personally, my approach is to prepare for the hay fever season. And by that, I mean, support my immune system all year round. Um, but particularly in the, the sort of couple of months leading up to the hay fever season you know to really focus on what I can do um, I'd use natural supplements and food and minimize my exposure to pollen and we can talk about those ideas uh, later um, I, I will sometimes use an antihistamine and over-the-counter antihistamine um, medication but if my symptoms are particularly severe um, but I wouldn't just use that exclusively as my only uh, go to, um, you know, I think there are other things that can really help the, the whole situation and minimise the severity of the symptoms. Yeah, definitely, Aileen. I'm, I'm with you there. It's about supporting the immune system and, and, and also minimising exposure um, as much as possible. And another consideration really re regarding um, histamine is that it's, it's not um, it's not used exclusively by the immune system for seasonal allergies. It is involved in, in the management of lots of other allergies as well and may also be ingested from certain foods. So histamine rich foods like the aging cheese and, and the cured meats and 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 I and also my you know I'm thinking about my daughter here and thinking about other allergies and and how they can trigger the immune system and the overload of histamine and she's got a nut allergy not to peanuts interestingly um, and she doesn't have anaphylaxis but when she 
has a reaction, um, certainly to certain nuts, it's really severe. And, you know, going back to that use of antihistamines, um, I try and, and try and not get her to take it. So I'm all about sort of uh, supporting the immune system on its own. But but with her at some point at, at times, I think I've only done it twice. It actually helps relieve the fear because she becomes scared of the possibility of not being able to breathe or going into anaphylaxis. So using the antihistamines as a way of calming her down. Mm. It's really supportive, but only in really severe can situations. Some it depends on the knot. Sometimes the reaction isn't quite so bad. But she had one recently, and even I was getting a bit scared. I thought, okay, so when when is the point that I that she is going into anaphylaxis? And we did use the antihistamine at that point, and I have to say it really calmed her down. Therefore, her breathing went back to normal, um, and um, and it helps sort of just reduce the swelling in her face. But yeah, uh, oh, that's uh, like, thanks for sharing that, Karen, because I think you know there's many people might be in that situation, and it's not yeah, what you can do. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, and and just sort of thinking about um, histamine again. The body has to be able to dispose of this excess histamine, and this is done in a in a couple of ways. So, the digestive system is involved here, and will break down and detoxify the histamine from foods and medications. And it does that by using an enzyme called um, diamine oxide. And then another way that it gets rid of it is um, it's sort of thinking about the intracellular histamine and it's it's sort of inactivated by this other compound known as histamine N-methyltransferase, which again is, is, um, is another enzyme. So... And also, I think some people genetically um, are, are unable to do these these two ways of getting rid of the histamine. They're unable to do this effectively. And this could lead to having the excess histamine in their bodies and the extra amounts of histamine really adding to the body's histamine load. We speak about the body's toxic load, but you can get a histamine load as well. And this can potentially be the trigger of all the symptoms that we've been that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting angle to look at. And this is where, you know, with some people, um, it's worth investing it, getting a bit forward. And, and as always, you know, we always like to get to the, the get to the root of the symptoms, dig a bit deeper. And sometimes for some people, histamine load or histamine intolerance is an area that we can investigate. Um, but you would usually do that during a one-to-one consultation. So if anybody uh, needs help in that area, um, you know, you can get in contact with us and book a consultation. Um, so we'd, we'd be able to help there. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed, we can. So do get in touch if you want additional support. So, so far, we've talked about the symptoms and the science. So now let's think about what changes a runner can make to their running routine to help minimise that exposure to the pollen. So Aileen, what would what would your advice be there? 
Well, there's lots of preventative measures, uh, fortunately, uh, which can be used to minimise exposure, especially if you if you already know that you're at risk of experiencing hay fever-like symptoms. And, you know, you may have your own um, strategies already, um, but certainly when I've been like reading quite a lot of our articles about this recently, and, and I've been quite encouraged about how much information is out there. Um, and, you know, the obvious first step is to uh, know your weather and pollen forecast. And uh, you'll probably have noticed that most weather channels report on pollen count nationally and regionally. So, you know, if you're watching uh, the weather forecast, you can think ahead and think, well, what's going to happen tomorrow and will I be at risk? Um, in the UK, there's also a great resource um, which is provided by the University of Worcester. Um, they provide pollen calendars for each region of the UK, which could be really helpful, um, you know, to look at your region or if you're visiting a region, you can check. And it's really interesting because they have a breakdown of um, that not only the gradings of of the pollen, how, you know, whether it's high, medium, low, but where the pollen might be coming from with regards to the different trees. So I think that was really, really, really helpful. And I'll put a link on the show notes for people to um, to find that too. Um, and I also noticed that a lot of local authorities also have pollen count information on their websites which I thought was really interesting. So it's, it is something that's affecting a lot of people. And, you know, from a public mm-hmm. health point of view, uh, the authorities seem to want to be able to help people. Um, and then there's, there are some supplement companies, usually the supplement companies who are um, selling antihistamines or herbal remedies. Uh, they also give quite useful advice. And there was one that I found um, and they're, they're a, a reputable company, and I've used them before. Um, they're called A. Vogel, and they uh, provide herbal remedies for lots of different uh, conditions. Uh, but they also had a regional um, pollen news site, and they were even giving you examples of, um, on a high pollen day, things you could do inside rather than outside. So visitor attractions, which obviously in lockdown isn't that appropriate for us, but at other times I just thought, well, that's really helpful. Um, that is, so, yeah. Yeah, well, I thought it was really um, going above and beyond to help people uh, minimise their exposure. Absolutely. I was quite unaware that sort of, well, nationally, maybe, but regionally, that there was um, so much information out there. And I suppose, you know, 25% of the population are suffering from this. It's it's quite a high number. So maybe that that is sort of reflected in the fact that they that there are so many different avenues out there to support people. Yeah, and I also think probably because, you know, if you're already an at-risk group, you know, the health authorities don't want you getting worse, do they? They want you to minimise the risk to yourself overall. So, and when we're talking about hay fever as a, a bit of an irritation for a runner, but actually for some people, it, it's quite health threatening, really, isn't it? Mm. So, so the general advice, uh, which might be helpful to people when they're thinking about planning where to run, what time is best to run, and how to minimise the exposure to pollen is look at the forecast. So check the pollen forecast. Um, they're usually colour-coded. 
Um, so low, medium, high, very red, uh, very high is the, is the red one. Um, so you, you can, at a glance, you can know what's going on. Um, the advice is to avoid being outdoors in dry, windy weather. That's the worst because pollen particles are very small and they become airborne very quickly. Um, so if, there, if it's windy, it's blowing about and you're more likely to be exposed. Um, then thinking about rain. So post rain, the humidity will help dampen down um, pollen. So that might be a good time to think about going for a run. Um, but also bear in mind that if there's prolonged rain, that can rupture the pollen particles and that might make them easier to enter the lungs. So there's quite a few things to take into mm. consideration there. Um, but it's all um, interesting, I think, um, to, to know what choices you can make. And then thinking about the timing of your running, um, the advice is to avoid early morning and late afternoon because this is when plants release pollen. So choosing an, a lunchtime run would be best if you are particularly affected. So obviously this might not be for everybody, um, but it's something to think about. Um, so Karen, what, what would you suggest about where to run? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think this is really, really helpful information, isn't it, about, you know, um, the type of weather, the timing of your run, and then sort of moving on and thinking about where to run and how that's going to affect your hay fever or how you can support that. And and I think sort of looking at that and looking at city running, you know, the pollution there may and intensify that airborne pollen and 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 potentially actually be exacerbated by dust so when out running maybe keeping away from from the roads and and vegetation that you can find in parks and canals and river paths um although sort of urban riversides they do often have wide paved pathways so you might actually be okay that you can still run on the path but there it's a decent distance away from the actual riverside and also maybe thinking about avoiding the trail running on high pollen days um, and again you'll know the trails that are close to you and and which ones pose you an issue and which ones don't so just being mindful of that what is around the different trails what plant life etc what grasses are around the trails that you um that you run on and really the best choices if you during high pollen days if you do get significantly um, affected by it is is sort of thinking about coastal and hilly areas where there's sort of less um, exposure to to that that um, allergens so um, Aileen so so that's sort of looking at where to run how about what we wear is there any protective protective clothing or any type of protective wear that a runner could consider to support them yeah well I think it's all just about thinking about your eyes your nose your hands what make you carry on your clothes into your home you know so clothes and footwear would be a, a, a thought as well so um, the first thing thinking about eyes would be to uh, wear sunglasses and wrap around sunglasses would be great at preventing pollen and dust getting into your eyes and wear them even when it's not sunny because they will protect you from that airborne um, pollen, the particles that, you know, particularly might be blown about in the wind. And that's something I do. I, I tend to protect my eyes 
when I'm uh, walking or running because I just want to avoid, you know, that itchy eyes and having to rub my eyes, etc. Um, and then another thing that um, you might want to consider is using um, a, a barrier, so an allergen barrier balm. And there's a, a brand called Haymax in the UK, um, which you'll find in all sorts of health food shops. And it's actually endorsed by Allergy UK as well. So um, you'll be able to easily find that. Um, and what you do is apply it to the nostrils and it it traps a portion you know if you were ingesting or breathing in the allergen the pollen it would trap a proportion which otherwise would travel up through the nasal tract which would cause the uh, reaction so it's working on the principle that if enough is trapped it will keep you below the sensitivity or trigger level so that the reactions for the allergen won't be triggered Um, so I've heard of people using Vaseline as well so that might be possible but the um also you just need to think about um not getting sunburned um you know so if you're running on a sunny day just be careful about uh, how you use the vaseline or the allergen balm um and just on a wider range you know they have a range of different allergen balms so um you know if you're suffering from other allergies there was i noticed they've got ones for people that are allergic to house dust to pets and things like that so there's a, a range I think it's worth having a look if that's an issue um, and then also thinking about um, the fact that we pick up pollen on our clothes our footwear in our hair and from our pets um, so that might be another way that you are exposing yourself to pollen um, again that's one that I notice um, I've got some family friends that have got dogs in the countryside and whenever I visit them it always affects me and I'm sure it's because I'm petting the dogs and then maybe not washing my hands straight away. So those kind of things are a, an issue. So the advice there is change your clothes whenever you come indoor, uh, perhaps even thinking about rinsing the soles of your running shoes um, so that you're just not introducing pollen into, into your home. And another tip is to shower and wash your hair after a run. So again, you're not running the risk of pollen particles transferring to your eyes and nose uh, once you're at home so quite a few protective things that you can do there are quite a few and quite simple things that people could think about and introduce to um to help minimize their exposure to to the to the allergens and one other one i'm thinking about alien is the face mask you know we're using it a lot at the moment for protection against covid um but but they could be used to protect us from the airborne particles um I, I, what i would say is that it would be really important to wash or dispose of them as soon as you get indoors you know a bit like you're saying about the clothing the shoes either washing disposing um just taking them off and um and and, and i suppose we should be doing that regularly anyway with the face masks as we're wearing them at the moment linked to coronavirus but just a reminder to if the, if the disposable ones dispose of them if they're not then wash them to minimize their pollen exposure yeah that's a, a really helpful reminder too karen and i think another tip is to think about keeping windows closed in the house and in the car um, and especially in the bedroom during the day and nighttime too and i know that can be tricky if the room feels hot uh, but maybe keeping curtains or blinds closed during the day 
um, and having a, a fan or an indoor air filter. So I think, again, you know, you might notice that on a really high pollen evening, um, you know, you, you wake up feeling that you're irritated and that could be because pollen's coming in through the windows at night time. Yeah, absolutely. So some really great tips, Aileen. But I suppose not everyone will need to do everything all of the time. But it's always good to know what steps you can take if if you need to. Um, so I think and, and, and there's quite a few here maybe that um, people haven't thought about. And, you know, as we've been going through them, I've been thinking about my running partner. And I think, yeah, there's lots of little things she could be doing to, to, to minimise her exposure that she's not doing at the moment. So I might just sort of pass on a few diplomatically oh, when, wow. I, when I'm out running with her. Yes, yes, I will. So, um, yeah, before uh, we move on, Aileen, shall we just take a short advert break? Yes. So today, um, you know, we always I'll just start by saying what I always say. We just want to take a minute to uh, let you all know what we're uh, what we do outside of uh, of the podcast. And um, one of the, the things that we've got to look forward to is an event that we're running at the end of June on the 30th of June. Um, so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about that today. And, um, you know, we often, Karen and I at Runners Health Up, we often say, uh, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. But we also know that strength, balance and flexibility are equally important to a runner's performance and form. And that's why I really jumped at the chance to collaborate with our good friend Janet uh, of Sunderland Pilates Studio to bring you an online and live workshop and as I said, we're going to do that on the 30th of June. So it's a few weeks away, um, but we wanted to give you as much notice as possible to get booked on. Um, so what we're going to do is invite you to spend two hours with us, uh, either in the comfort of your home or if it's a sunny evening, maybe in your garden. I've done Pilates in the garden before now. And um, the 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 workshop is called Better Running with Pilates and Nutrition. So um, there's going to be four short sessions within the two hours. And Janet's going to do some and we're going to do some. So we thought that uh, what we do is talk to you about food for up to a 10K run. And um, that's really going to help you make some simple tweaks that you can do with your food uh, to help you run faster and for longer. And I think probably because a lot of us haven't done races over the last year. There's a, a big 10K race calendar uh, this summer, so that might be really helpful to, to people. Um, Janet's going to talk to you about um, flexible feet. So there's going to be a flexible foot workshop, which I think is really important because we, we, you know, often as runners, we, we forget that we're on our feet all the time. So to do some um, exercises around having flexibility would be fantastic too. Then Karen and I are going to talk about food for half marathons plus. So thinking about what you're doing uh, before, during and after your long training runs. And hopefully, you know, if you're a regular listener, uh, you'll already know lots about that. But I always think it's good for have a, have a refresher. So we're going to have um, a chat about that with you. And then Janet's going to finish off by activating our core. Um, so she's going to help us know what to do to switch on our core muscles and, and indeed, um, identify what our core muscles are, just in case you don't know. So some very simple and effective core strength, uh, strengthening. Um, and I really feel that coming to the workshop is going to be a really important part of summer race prep. And um, 
yes, it's still online, uh, but we can have some fun together. Uh, so we do have an early bird price of, of £20. And if you're interested to join us, uh, check out the show notes. Um, at the top of the show notes, we'll put the booking link. And we'd, we'd love to see as many of you there as, as we can. Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. And yes, I second that. We we would love to see you all there. So do, um, do if this appeals to you, then do join up. Um, so let's now move on and look at what we can all do nutritionally and naturally to help prevent or at least minimise the hay fever symptoms that um, that many people suffer from. And I think my first point is to say that, like Aileen said at the beginning, a balanced immune system is foundational and fundamental to to supporting um, or reducing the symptoms of of hay fever. And I think during the pandemic, we have all become very focused on what we need to do to support a healthy immune system. And if you've been listening to our episodes over the past year, you know, you will have heard us talking about some of the key nutrients that are known to support the the immune system. So I'm thinking here of nutrients such as vitamin D and zinc. Vitamin C as well is really important the omega-3 fatty acids, and of course, Aileen's favourite, the beta-glucans, are some of the ones that we've talked about in detail, actually, in various um, episodes. So that's just a reminder of, of really how important it is to look after the immune system, which also includes includes the digestive system as well, because like Aileen said, 70% of our immune system is housed in our digestive system. So Aileen, you know, I've sort of outlined the key nutrients. Is there a a nutritional approach to managing the symptoms of hay fever and seasonal allergies? Is there a particular nutritional approach? Yeah, well, I think my approach would be to think about promoting the mucous membrane barrier health, because that's going to be our first line of defense. Um, and, and that will help us minimize the exposure to pollen and allergens. And then I'd move on to supporting and balancing the immune system. So supporting gut immunity, reducing inflammation and managing the histamine load that we, we mentioned earlier. Uh, and then also consider how to manage the allergic symptoms that we've been talking about today um, and how to um, manage the production of those um, production and the breakdown of, of excess mucus because that is you know predominantly the thing that is bothering people you know that horrible mucusy um flow from the mouth from the nose really um mm. so so that would be an overall approach when it comes to um uh, thinking about uh what to do with your food plan um so hay fever is fever sufferers might think about Um, First of all, cutting down on foods which encourage the mucus production. So that tends to be things like wheat and dairy. And mucus is really produced by the immune system to help protect us. Um, You know, that's the first thing it does. So if there are certain foods that we may be intolerant to, um, that might encourage that mucus production. So cutting back on those foods might be useful. Um, Also thinking about minimizing the high histamine foods. So there's a there's a range of foods that are high histamine, but um, you know we've picked out two here to talk about the aged cheese and the cured meats. Um, but if that again, if that's an issue for anybody and they want a list of histamine foods, that's something we can help with. Um, 
And then thinking about what you can do to increase your consumption of anti-inflammatory foods and antihistamine um, or, or foods that have antihistamine properties. So those foods would be things like berries, so all the range of berries that you can get during the summer, onions, garlic, and green and nettle tea. Um, and then from an anti-inflammatory food plan point of view, cutting back on sugar and processed foods, focusing on things like oily fish, lots of fruit and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and spices such as turmeric and ginger. So all of these will help reduce inflammation. So you, you're really thinking about the inflammation going on as a whole throughout the body, but in particular, taking that approach will just generally um, downregulate inflammation and, and that will help you. Great. And you've spoken there, Aileen, about, you know, in general terms about the pro-inflammatory foods and the anti-inflammatory foods. Are there any specific nutrients you would want to highlight? Yeah, well, I've picked out two, Karen. And again, you know, it's always really difficult when you, you're doing your revision before before an episode to remind yourself of all the different nutrients that mm-hmm. might help. And, and there are, there are you know, tons of nutrients that support the, uh, the immune system. Um, but I thought I'd look at two in particular today. So the first one is a one called quercetin, and the second one is honeybee propolis. So if we start with the quercetin, um, so that's a, an antioxidant and it's part of the bioflavonoid family and it's found mainly in fruit and vegetables. And it really uh, is helpful because it possesses anti-inflammatory properties and is a natural antihistamine. And it's probably the most talked about in respect of hay fever. So if anybody's doing the more reading or, or, or searching, uh, you'll find quite a lot of information about it. And the reason it's so helpful is it's got membrane stabilizing properties uh, on the cells that release histamine. And so it helps produce an anti-inflammatory effect. Um, and the best sources of quercetin from a food point of view, you'll find in onions, apples, cranberries, blackcurrants, uh, also in capers and buck- buckwheat. Uh, but you'll find them in lots of different foods um, and fruits and vegetables, things like citrus fruits, parsley, sage. Uh, So it's widely available, but including Mm. those kind of foods in your food plan would be really helpful. Yeah, and as we always say, food comes first, daily. But I know that you can also supplement with with quercetin. Is Is that something you use at all? Yes, yeah, you can use it as a supplement, and and indeed, uh, yeah, it's in my um, my toolbox for the summer. Um, so I, I use it in the spring and summer months as an alternative to an antihistamine. And um, you can find it often. It's combined with other nutrients which help improve its effectiveness. So you might find, um, you know, if you buy quercetin, you'll see that it's combined with things like vitamin C with uh, nettle extract and, and bromelain. So that the vitamin C will support histamine detoxification and that will help clear it from the body. Uh, the nettle extract has got the ability to block histamine activity um, and, um, uh, and along with other pro-inflammatory molecules involved in hay fever. And bromelain is actually, uh, that's a, a protein digestive enzyme um, which you get from pineapples. Um, and it's an anti-inflammatory and uh, also has immune balancing properties which act directly on immune cells. So those those nutrients work very well with quercetin. Um, 
So, um, and I would just, you know, always say, always check with your medical or nutritional advisor before taking any supplements. Um, but it's a, it's a sort of a go-to natural alternative to a, a, a medical antihistamine. Yeah, yeah, good, uh, good, good recommendations there, Aileen, both re- regarding the diet and foods, but also the supplements as well. So thank you for that. So can we kind of move on now? And um, maybe you could tell us a bit about the honeybee propolis? Yeah, well, there's lots of anecdotal stories about having a spoonful of honey daily, um, preferably starting before the pollen season to help manage hay fever. And I'm quite lucky because I've got a friend that is a beekeeper, so I get lots of local honey. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky from that respect. But I guess, you know, going to local markets and, you know, you know your local health shop, you'll be able to find local honey. Uh, and the principle behind it is desensitization desensitization so the pollen that the bees collects work can work well as an effective anti-allergen um and so that's the honey side of things but propolis is actually um something that bees collect uh and it is available as a supplement um so it's um it's actually a sticky resin that Bees, honeybees uh, collect from leaf buds and the barks of trees and other botanical sources. And what happens is the bees metabolize the propolis and they use it to seal uh, and disinfect and protect their hives. Um, and it's got a natural, propolis has got a natural antibiotic, antifungal and antibacterial properties. So it, it's a complex food. It's actually got lots and lots of natural compounds um, including vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, and amino acids. Um, and it's been studied quite a lot. There's actually quite a few recent studies, um, you know, around the world. Um, and um, there's there's lots of studies looking at the benefits of honeybee products, such as um, honey itself, the propolis, and also royal jelly. And, and it's commonly accepted that honey's got antimicrobial and wound healing properties. And, and so we know that it's got a positive contribution to the immune system and, and it's recommended to, to have a good quality honey. Um, now, there are some studies that are read, uh, which were more animal-based rather than human studies, looking specifically at uh, propolis. And um, it appears that it will inhibit mast cell functions and mast cell dependent allergic responses. Um, but what they're basically saying is it appears that that's working, but we haven't really got enough evidence to support it. Um, but, you know, we, we always say this, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not working. It just means that from a scientific point of view, there hasn't been a study to demonstrate it. So that's why I chose that here, because I think it's another natural thing that people can do. Um, yes. So I think it, and it's an easy thing. And there are um, supplements available. Um, so that would be, you know, a helpful thing to try and see if that works for you. Yeah, definitely. And we we often recommend, don't we, Aileen, having a teaspoonful of honey as a post-training quick-release carbohydrate snack. So potentially if we choose a local honey, we were helping support our immune system to protect against these allergies. So it's, again, something to think about. And you know, although we can't point to the clear research about the effect of propolis, there certainly are indications that it supports us um, in our aim to protect 
against the the hay fever. So um, really interesting points, but definitely the local honey, I think just from an overall immune support uh, would be helpful, but but also thinking about using it um, to, to guard against or help guard against the seasonal um, allergies would be really helpful as well. So thanks very much for this, Aileen. I, I feel that now we're all fully armed to protect ourselves against the seasonal allergies so that really our run training and our performance maybe isn't impeded too much. So, um so that really takes us to the end of this uh, episode, which I have found quite fascinating. Hopefully everybody else um, has too. So just before we close, Aileen, could you maybe round up by giving your key takeaways from this episode? Yeah, well, there's actually quite a lot of key takeaways. But as you say, it's uh, it's an interesting topic. So, you know, we've discovered that allergic rhinitis is commonly known as hay fever, and it affects at least 25% of the UK population. It might even be higher. And uh, it is a result of an, as an, of an immune reaction to tree grass and weed pollen. And that leads to inflammation of the nose, the sinuses, the eyes, the throat, and you know, potentially a tightening of the chest and wheeziness. Um, hay fever symptoms affect many runners, and it can range from being an irritation to a major disruption in run training and races, and, and ultimately our enjoyment of running. Um, what happens is that pollen may trigger an IgE-mediated immune response and a release of histamine. And sometimes that histamine is released in excess of our requirements. And that's the thing that leads to the hay fever symptoms. Um, some people might have a high histamine load, and that could be due to eating certain foods and medications consumed. Um, but also they might have a genetic inability to clear histamine, uh, which we talked about, and that might exacerbate their immune response to pollen. So there's lots of things that you can do to minimize your exposure to pollen. Uh, we talked about checking weather and pollen forecast, avoiding runny and windy, uh, windy dry weather, choosing run routes away from vegetation, um, protecting your eyes with wraparound sunglasses, maybe using an allergen barrier balm in nasal passages, um, and thinking about washing and changing um, your clothes when you come in and out of when you come indoors from an outdoor run and then maybe also thinking about keeping windows closed to again minimize that exposure. So from a nutritional point of view, we are always recommending that you support your immune system all year round uh, to ensure that you, you've got optimal vitamin and mineral status. And in particular, we talk about vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C and beta glutens as being really important to include all year round. But then ahead of the hay fever season and continuing throughout the spring and the summer, consider adding in protective nutrients to your food. So we're thinking about the anti-inflammatory foods, the oily fish, nuts, seeds, fruit and vegetables, and then also foods with antihistamine properties. So berries, onions, garlic, green tea and nettle tea. And then think also about minimizing mucus producing foods. So we mentioned wheat and dairy and also about minimizing high histamine foods such as aged cheese and cured meats and looking at what supplements or foods that you can use as protective measures. So we, we talked about quercetin uh, in food 
or as a supplement, which might be a great alternative to the over-counter um, antihistamine medications. And then finally, uh, try out local honey and honeybee propolis um, because they're thought to protect your hay fever, protect against hay fever symptoms. So, And that would be a very easy thing to do on a day-to-day basis. So that would be my key takeaways rather a lot there. Yeah, there are. But then some great tips in there. So I think now we're all armed and ready to to deal with any seasonal allergy that may come along. So um, thanks very much for that, Aileen. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.